welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Kim Shapira, welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. Kim is a registered dietitian with a background in human metabolism and clinical nutrition from Boston University. She helps people heal heal their relationship with food. And Kim has spent the last 24 years helping people lose weight and keep it off with a giant emphasis on keeping it off. Her method has morphed into six rules, which we're going to go over today. And these rules help people journey, journey into a normal relationship with food, which improves their confidence, health, and well-being. I mentioned that I had heard you on XM radio and I started to follow you on Instagram and you were going through a period where you were putting your rules up, you know, ever so many days, or I don't know whether it was once a week, but uh, it really resonated with me because of the simplicity of it. It was like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. So, um, so welcome. Yeah. It's great to see you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and share my method with your audience and hopefully, you know, a, a everybody can start applying these simple rules is what I call them. I actually like think about it in in terms of like putting people back in kindergarten, right? That's how simple I want this to be. Kind of like learning the rules on the playground again, right? Like we learned how to sit crisscross applesauce for the first time. And excuse me, that, (laughs) of course I'm choking out. (laughs) That kind of applies into, you know, how we get along with other people. And so many people, 95% of Americans are actually on a diet. And so if that's the case and everybody to say that again, Kim, 95% of Americans are on a diet. Yes. Wow. And 80% will fail. Yeah. Yes. 80% of Americans who are trying to improve their health and well-being will fail. And I, I am in this belief this like very deep belief that in order for you to be well, you need sustained management in your weight, right? Because first of all, there's so many reasons and we can talk about all that, right? The angst of even having to worry about that and how that lowers just your overall vibration and increases your stress will contribute to poor health. But going back to, you know, these 95% of American who are try- Americans who are trying to lose weight, I, I, you have to know that in the first seven years of all of our lives, we develop triggers that even in the most loving household, we still have these triggers. You know, it's kind of like that joke. Well, my kid's going to end up in therapy anyway right? Like we all have these things and most of us, three things that we work on and to master in our life. We pick careers, we pick spouses, we pick friends that just are a little salty that trigger us in a way that we can improve our life. And then if something traumatic happens to us, like 9-11 or COVID, then we get new triggers. Any trauma creates new triggers. And so what started out as three could end up as five or six. 
And these triggers are what causes us to make irrational choices. It's what makes us think that food in general or shopping or, you know, um, drugs or, you know, hurting oneself is a good idea. And so my goal is to keep people in their rational mindset. And this all, well, I, I got to go back to the beginning for you, if you don't mind. Yeah, I would love, I would love for you to go back to the beginning. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, I would love to hear like, you know, how, how you came down this path and you're obviously very passionate about it. There, I can feel that, you know, that drive behind you that you really want to help people and that you have found something that clicks and works and it's simple. And so how did, how did it all begin for you? Okay. So I, I would, my story is, is that I was a sick kid. That's the story that I would say to myself. And so when, when I was 12, I ended up getting sick and having multiple reconstructive surgeries. It was 1986. And at that time I was one of eight people to have ever been born with this defect. That defect is not what's important. What's important is that there was no one before me that could help me. And I was terrified and I, nobody knew what was wrong with me, <clears throat> excuse me. So I had four specialists at UCLA and I would go every Wednesday to see my specialists. I had multiple reconstructive surgeries and I spent at least four years going to UCLA. And my mom would say to me, don't cry. When we're done with this appointment, we'll go shopping. And I would spend the entire time in my doctor's appointment while I was being examined. Again, 12, it was a total violation. It was terrifying. I was super vulnerable. I would spend the entire appointment thinking about what I would buy. And it was a wonderful coping mechanism, not something that I would ever regret or take away from my 12-year-old self because it was an escape, right? It was a place for me to go thinking about shopping while I was terrified. I call this that is very, bringing yourself towards comfort. So it brought you comfort. It brought me comfort. It's very much like when people think food is a good idea when their body's distressed or when they're bored or when they're celebrating either way. It's exactly what that is. And so um, my friends would tease me that I had a shopping problem and I would say, no, I, I really just like new things like no. I would write all of my school papers on the Nordstrom's half yearly sale. I would dream about the sound of a cash register. <laughs> These are things that brought me so much joy. Yeah. And my very first client. So, so basically I knew that I wanted to be in a health profession. I didn't care about food. I didn't have issues with food. I didn't overthink or underthink food. But what I did notice is that when people would come over they would eat all of my food. And um, my parents always had so much food just because my mom, I think, had been restricted as a child. So she felt like if we have it, we won't be missing it. And so we never cared about it. It wasn't a thing. And so, um, but I knew that food and nutrition contributed to people's health. And so I had a health trigger and I was on a path to make people healthy. That was gonna be my purpose. And I opened my practice first thing out of grad school after my medical rotation. And my first client was a therapist. She lost 30 pounds and I was so proud of myself. I had put her on a diet. I used the diabetic exchanges. Not only did she lose 30 pounds, 
She wasn't going to have any problems with blood sugar or cholesterol. And I just changed her life. And then she said to me, so I'm going to gain the weight back. And I'm like, why would you do that? You know, like now you're triggering me right now. I'm not okay. Why would you do that? And she said, because my husband wants to have sex all of the time. And I was molested as a child and I'm not comfortable. And I thought to myself, I am not prepared for that. I don't understand what is happening here. And I, I don't know how to help her. So I realized that there was more to the way people ate than just the food. Mm. And then as I was starting to do a deeper dive into that, I started realizing, gosh, people's relationship with food is like my shopping. And how can I grow here? Right? Like, it wasn't like I really thought, like, how can I grow? It was more like, how can I not stress about my own shopping? How can I not feel guilty about it? And how can I apply that to food? And so my method kind of morphed as I was helping myself and healing myself. I was using my own tools to help my clients and it was healing them. And that is how we ended up with, you know, how I ended up focusing, having everyone's focus from losing 10 pounds or 20 pounds for an event or short term to how can I keep this weight off long term? I love that. And so I I love listening to people's stories. I mean, that's what I do. I trained a listener. And what I'm hearing is that your journey when you were 12 years old, nothing is lost. You know, that was such an important part of you needed to have that experience in order to be such a good teacher yourself later, because you were able to catch things that you, if you hadn't had the experience yourself, you wouldn't be able to help people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's even interesting when I think about myself laying on that gurney and that, you know, very vulnerable, scrawny 12 year olds. I look at those doctors and I can see that they were not bad or scary and that they tried to make me comfortable and that they cared so much about my well being. I mean, keep in mind, this was a teaching hospital, which means that every student came in and would had the ability to be in the room with me. And I didn't have the power to say no. Right. So it wasn't just these doctors. Yeah. Yeah. And for years, when I would tell doctors that I would see later about what had happened or who I was and what was happening to my body, they would say, Oh, I know all about that. And I was actually at at a class in that program and heard about this. And it was a lot. It was a lot. Wow. What a life changing event for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I'm deeply grateful for it. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because often, you know, we get stuck and clearly you've grown enough where you're not stuck in that, that you see the grace, you see the the learning that came out of it and, you know, that has helped you become, you know, really who you are. That's a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I ask my clients to look back and be grateful for some of their own experiences, that is, it's very difficult for them. And I think it's a very important place to start. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of healing comes from sharing your stories, you know, in a safe place. If you can talk about it, it's, it's very healing. Yeah. Um, It sounds like that's uh, a great start. So you started to see clients, you started to see this shift in the way that you were talking about the emotional part around eating. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So when I was in grad school, I did an internship in Boston with an, in an obesity clinic. And these people were seven, 800 pounds. And they were all doing these chocolate shakes or vanilla shakes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I remember thinking if they could do it. I could do it. So I woke up one morning and I decided I was going to drink this chocolate shake. Were they like a healthy shake or a milkshake? Oh, it was like probably something like an Ensure. I mean, this is like going back 26 years ago. I truly can't remember, but it was like a fasting type of shake. So you didn't have like three shakes back then. No, it was not that. (laughs) But it was like three shakes a day kind of thing. And so I said, okay, I'm going to try it. And so I drank it at eight. And then by 8.30, I literally thought I was dying of starvation. So I hopped on the tee, went to work and started talking to everybody and asking like, how are you sustaining yourself in this day with this one shake? And what was profoundly interesting to me was that every single one of them was kind of dumbstruck by my question because hunger had never played into the equation. And here I was with a normal metabolism, which only takes a couple of days to kind of reboot because it's always working. And these, these folks had never experienced hunger. They weren't eating for hunger. And so that became my focus very early on in my practice. Do you get hungry? Do you know what hunger feels like? Are you afraid of being hungry? Right. That's such a great question. And that's one of your simple, you know, we'll get into your, to your, your different tips, but you know, eat when you're hungry. It's so basic. And sometimes now, since I've started to follow you, I'll I'll ask myself, you know, am I, are you really hungry right now, Pam? Right. Yeah. And even if, even I had a normal relationship with food and here I was realizing I'm actually terrified of being hungry. Like when my doctors ask me to um, fast for a blood test, that that is so triggering for me. And so, um, I I always request first thing in the morning as if I cannot be okay. (laughs) Right. And it took me probably into my forties to realize, I mean, I've thrown temper tantrums if they make me wait because I'm fasting and I'm I'm afraid I'm going to pass out in the doctor's office and they're going to have to like, totally, totally. And yet I then have to remind myself, wait, I've actually survived every moment moment. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to starve. My body can take care of myself, but why am I so scared here? And that's a natural like thing that we experience, right? But then our mind doesn't want us to have these scary experiences. So it tells us to eat and then our conscious mind lags behind. And so we do something impulsive and then regret it. So you're saying that the people at the obesity clinic were net, they never felt hungry. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Yeah. And I I remember once having another client in my private practice who um, was a breast cancer survivor. She was over 300 pounds. Her blood sugars were out of control. And she, um, she came to me not because of the diabetes or her risk of cancer, but because she could no longer reach her tush to wipe. Wow. And I remember saying to her, well, what is it that you're eating? And she said, well, I, I don't eat that much. And I said, okay, well, what are you drinking? And she was drinking three liters of Kool-Aid a day. Yeah. Nothing to do with hunger. Nothing to do with hunger. 
Yes. So my first rule quickly became eat when you're hungry. And it seems very simple, but it's really, really layered. And so there are two other parts to that rule. The first part is take your normal portion, which right there triggers people, but take your normal portion and cut it in half. And now they're also triggered because they feel like they're being restricted. And then the second part of that rule is to wait 15 minutes to decide if you need more food. Now I've already triggered this new person twice. So they didn't actually hear what I said, which they can eat more if they need more in 15 minutes. So if you understand the whole rule, it's eat when you're hungry, take your normal portion, cut it in half and wait 15 minutes to see if you need more. So we know that science says in all the studies that if we are starving and we eat a piece of bread and we wait 10 minutes for our food to arrive, we're no longer hungry. And we know through our metabolism, if we are not hungry, if our gas tank is full and we eat, there's no more room in the gas tank, which means that that food, whether it's, I'm going to put healthy in quotes, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, also in quotes, will then be stored as fat. So at this point, we can't determine what is healthy and you cannot pick up a strawberry or kale or ice cream and deem it healthy until you know how your body responds to it. It's a personal thing for everybody. So yeah, I would, agree, I would agree with that hundred percent. I, I know my body well enough. I check in with myself often. It's like one of my spiritual practices. And I know, you know, about a half an hour after I've eaten something, whether or not my body likes it or not, you know, yeah. it, it definitely has an effect on me. Um, and I pay attention to that because the next, like, I can't eat ice cream ever, right. ever. Like I just can't, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night with like stomach pains and, yeah. and I mean, it tastes good going in, but like, who wants to feel like that? So it's just right. not worth it to me, but I'd love, so I'd love that you're talking about the triggers though. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So, um, you're telling somebody that only eat when you're hungry and then eat half of the portion. So you're saying they, they didn't even hear you say the second part because they're worried. So how do you work around that? Like how does the person yeah, well, come to is, comfort with that? This is where you come in, right? So um, it's a grounding practice, right? So our amygdala, which is our fear factor in our brain kind of gets a little frisky or pesky, I would say, and kind of flips our lid we can use like that term. So if we're totally rational, like every person's rational in the morning, mostly we wake up and we think food is fuel, food is nourishment. And then somehow we get triggered by some sort of fear. And this fear causes us to kind of flip our lid where we now start thinking irrationally where no food is not fuel. Food is actually comfort. Food is joy. Food is fun. Food is the party. Food is the celebration. Food is the enemy. Food is scary. All of those thoughts mean that we're not in the right part of our brain and that we need to take a deep breath and check in with our body, make sure that our feet are on the ground and that our mind is actually in our body. And what I mean by that is that our mind likes to jump out of our body and we can't tell what we're feeling if our mind isn't in our body. So it's really taking some deep breaths, maybe using aromatherapy. You know, I'm sure you have a bunch of different. Yeah. Well, ways. most people live in the headspace 
you know, we're constantly, and that's human nature, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm always trying to get people to bring it down <laughs> into yeah. the body um, because often, you know, sensations or emotions come to us in a felt sense before our brain even recognizes what's happening. Like I will get like, Oh, butterflies. And I'll think, Oh, maybe shouldn't do that right now or shouldn't go there. Or maybe that person's not healthy for me or what, whatever that is. I, it often comes to me to the body first before my brain has processed it, but we're so disconnected. We're so up here thinking about the next thing, the next to the next um, that we often forget. And it's, it's great if we can re-remember yeah. No yeah. Bodies. Right. And our nervous system is actually the only system we can control. And so just being in the practice of flexing the muscle of, you know, constantly re- bringing your mind back to your body, um, which requires constant repetitions, right. But, um, practicing gratitude, practicing deep breaths, taking a breath before you make decisions, kind of like before you would cross the street, you would stop and look both ways, you know, do this as soon as you think food is a good idea. I call it like hitting the snooze button. And um, I often like at this point would explain like when we get the sensations, which are really hormones telling our brain that we have to pee, we don't jump up and go to the bathroom. We hit the snooze button and then we think, do I have to go right now? Where is the closest toilet? You know, we never really um, stress about having to go to the bathroom. Sometimes it gets uncomfortable. But in general, we pretty much made it every single time. And it's also like we didn't get up in the morning and think, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to pee six times today. We just do it. And same with food. We are going to be hungry. We should be hungry. We shouldn't stress about it because there's literally food on every corner and we have survived every single uncomfortable moment. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting, yeah, just the psychology behind it, because I know that our thoughts are so repetitive. So if you're thinking about food, it's like over and over and over again, or thinking about losing that 10 pounds for the wedding that's coming up or whatever event that you're, you were talking about before. Um, it's just this repetitive thinking that, you know, we really need to. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's not healthy because then you're up here all the time. So the right. so rule number two says eat what you love. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So, um, I hear a lot of people rationalize their food choices. So if it's a salad, I should be able to eat more. If it's strawberries, I should be able to eat more. Um, you know, if it's unhealthy, like I always kind of think, would you put that in your dog bowl? Would you feed that to your dog? You know, and most people wouldn't, right. It's, it's kind of alarming to think what we're putting in our own bodies, but because of that negativity right there, people are scared. And so then they, they do this process of restriction, which then ultimately causes us to overeat it or have these unwell feelings about, you know, shame or persecution. So in order to kind of learn how to flow or move freely with, and kind of be an authentic advocate for your own body, you need to go back to kindergarten and eat what you love and forget anything you think you know, and then really check in with your body. So again, this is all about the relationship you have with food. And if something like ice cream is making you sick, you have to kind of look at why are you willing to accept that? You know, are you worthy of not being sick? And that's a very healthy place to move from, right? Being an advocate for your own well-being 
So yes, everyone's having ice cream, but if ice cream is making me sick, which it does, then maybe I'm just going to enjoy my friend's company. And I'm not going to need to have ice cream in this moment because this moment is also going to pass like the other 10,900 times I ate last year that I can't remember. <laughs> I used to tell myself when I was younger that I'd be like, do I really want that? And then I'd be like, well, in like an hour, it will have passed and I'll be somewhere else. And it, 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 whether I ate it or not, doesn't really matter. Right. Or else I'll, I'll know what it tastes like. I already know what that tastes like. I've had it before. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like right there, you know, we're so, um, reward sent like oriented. And if we know what it tastes like and it's good and we are not, our heads are not, our minds are not in our body, then that seduction right there is so overpowering. Mm -hmm. And we were rewarded by the anticipation. I get to put that in my mouth. It lights up all of those dopamine receptors. And what would be a better reward is taking care of yourself. So it's not that you can't have the food, right? Now you're learning that you can have it. Food is anytime. And we're also putting all food on the same playing field. So there's no shiny objects. There's no desserts. There's no treats. All food is food. And if it agrees with your body, then that's fine. But you have to be hungry when you eat it. Because if there's no room in your gas tank, whether it's strawberries or ice cream, your body doesn't know the difference. It's going to store it as fat. And we want to reduce that stress. Do you think too, we were taught sort of that three meals a day, at least that's how I grew up. You know, you had your breakfast, you had your lunch. We didn't snack as much as kids. My kids did when they were younger. I don't know why, like everybody's snacks tucked in every like little corner of their pockets for their kids. Fear. Fear. Um, but what I've noticed when I've been checking in with myself about the hunger piece since since I've yeah. you know met your your steps or your rules is that I'm really not hungry very often. It's yeah. it's surprising. Yeah. Like really yeah. surprising. Yeah. And so that's a that's a really good point. And I'm so proud of you for recognizing it. It's not always easy to first recognize it or second do anything about it. But um, what what I think should happen for glucose regulation and normal metabolism, think about it in terms of um, a stovetop. And let's say you have eight burners. Let's say we all have eight burners. If you're not hungry, that means two of your eight burners are on. And so all of these rules that I have really help you turn those burners on. And we want all eight on. And so you need to get into the habit of eating what's appropriate for that hunger level. So you can be hungry. I would say three hours later, Mm -hmm. if you are not hungry three hours later, it's because you probably ate more than you needed in the meal before. And here, let me just have you pause there because this was an important thing that I saw you do that I thought was brilliant. Um, You had an Instagram post where you were eating your lunch and you were like plowing through it, but you were flying through your phone or you had your laptop or something. And I loved it just because I teach spiritual practices. And then you had, you know, frame two was you sitting outside on a beautiful day, enjoying the breeze and sort of, you know, in your head and contemplating or whatever you were doing. And the contrast was so interesting to me because I get caught up doing that. Oh, I'm just going to catch up on some emails while I'm, you know, And, and that's when I tend to overeat and I haven't been cutting my food in half. And I typically eat, I feel like, you know, pretty nutrient dense, healthy meals, but I probably eat too much. 
Yeah. And even using the word healthy gives you permission to eat. And like, I would refrain. That's why eating what you love rather than labeling a food. We don't want to have labels around food. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But what you're actually referring to is the third rule, which is eat without distractions. And there, like, I would say going back so many years, 15, 16 years ago, I would say that this was the rule that I would say was if you can follow this rule at a hundred percent or 90%, this will be the reason why you lose weight because there are three reasons people eat. One is for hunger. One is for emotional reasons. And one is because the food is in front of us. And I just told you that the only reason you should be eating is for hunger. And so there's so many people who eat because they're bored or they sit on a couch every night and eat pretzels or popcorn and it's a habit. And these are not hunger cues. And if our, if our body is full, if our gas tank is full, you will store whatever you're eating, even if it's healthy or unhealthy as fat. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Very great visual. I once had of this too, is I was visiting someone and there was these two women that were moms and they were coming in and out of like the back of the house to do stuff in the kitchen. And one of them was skinny and one of them was overweight. And the skinny one kept coming out and fiddling with stuff and packing up like the little kids things and then disappearing and then coming back and doing a few things. The overweight woman kept going in the back and coming out and she would fiddle with things, but then she was like putting stuff in her mouth and then she would go in the back and do something. And I just watched this dance for like an hour and I thought, oh my gosh, she ate like a meal. Yeah. It didn't count in her mind. Yeah. And the other woman didn't have anything to eat. It wasn't time to eat. It was just, but it was interesting to me because it's that same, I love a visual and you gave me this great visual um, and people can follow you. You know, I'll have all your information on, on how to find you on Instagram and but that was such a great visual because I think people yeah. don't understand, they don't see themselves. Right. If they don't. Could videotape us throughout the day. Yeah, they don't. I literally just did a post 10 minutes ago or 20 minutes ago about people, we don't see our own truth. And it's so important, you know, for the accountability. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. But people think they love food. People will call themselves foodies. And who in the world doesn't love food? Yeah. Right. Like we need it for, to, to live. It's not even a negotiable here. So of course you love food, but how do you be alone with it? Right. Can, how long does it take to eat three minutes, six minutes? Can you be alone with the thing that you say you love? You know, yeah. not a lot of people can, they find it very boring, but when they're hungry, they can be alone with it. It's interesting. Yeah. No, it's so great. So great. So number, number four, which I've been doing and I love cause it's become a game for me right. um, throughout the day, which I, I love playing stuff like a game. It's like, you know, you're almost competitive with myself. Yeah. Is, and, and I love this because Jenny Hutt talks about this too, about, you know, the, uh, the steps. So rule number four is 10,000 steps a day. Yes. This is what I think changed Jenny Hutt's life. Yes. Um, so what, what this is, is really the average American walks about 3000 steps and the average American is obese. And so we are circadian beings, right? We rely on rhythms. We rely on our cortisol to wake us up, our melatonin to go to sleep. We rely on all of the hormones in our stomach to tell us when to eat all of the hormones to tell us when we have to go to the bathroom. 
And these rhythms are habitual and they are um, rhythmic. And so walking actually helps you control these rhythms. It regulates your hormones, your bowels, maintains your muscles. There isn't, there's that legally blonde quote that I think something about no way did she shoot her husband because she exercises and exercise gives us endorphins and people who have endorphins are happy, (laughs) right? So um, it does so many things. It improves our sleep and overall just the quality of life. So everybody who has an iPhone has the ability to see how many steps they've been averaging. It's in the health app on their phone and it's been keeping track the entire time they've ever had a phone. So they can look there and see And it's important to get 10,000 steps. And I know it sounds very daunting for people who are getting two or 3,000, but I can almost guarantee 1,000% that when you start walking, it will literally become your favorite part of your day. Yeah, I agree. And I see your two cute doggies back there and dogs are a great way to, I have two dogs and they're a great way to get you out of the house. And a lot of people got puppies over, you know, over COVID time, um, And, and I, people, if you look back in history, you know, back in people walked, they were like, no, nomads walking 12,000 steps. Our ancestors covered 12,000 steps a day, a day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that hard to do, but there are days where I'll be shocked and I'll look and, and I'll be working and like, you know, doing the podcast or, or edits or whatever I'm doing. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I only have like 3000. I think I've had eight so far and it's, it's one, one in the afternoon here yeah. on the East coast. And That's so good. when we're done yeah, and one of my favorite spiritual practices for my oldest daughter who works from home, um, is I, I always say to her, you need a reset. If I'm at my desk for too long, if I'm starting to feel, you know, like I get stuck and I'm not being as creative as I would like, you need a reset. And the reset is to hit the pavement walk around the block and then come back to your desk. And honestly, it does so much for the brain. You're just like a new person. And then the creativity yeah. just, just flows. So there's, there's so many great benefits from it, your health and yeah. Yeah. And we need the sunshine. Yeah. And we need the sunshine. Um, so rule number five is uh, eight glasses of water a day. Yes, it is. Um, so people talk about cleanses or resets or whatnot, and water is actually our daily cleanse, right? It literally works on every single organ from our brain down to our bladder, liver, every organ, it cleanses it. It helps detoxify every single day. And it's actually the secret sauce for um, weight loss and weight management, right? So if we, if our kidneys don't have enough water, we can't really get detoxified with all the urine, but our body is so efficient that our liver actually assists in detoxifying. And then our liver, which is meant to really metabolize fat and do glucose regulation. And that fat is in the form of cholesterol, triglycerides, and body fat. When the liver takes over the kidneys job, the liver doesn't do its own job. Mm. And then we store more body fat and we see our triglycerides go up in cholesterol. Yeah. So tell me some of the, you have some tips on how we can get that in. And and one of them uh, I'll start is that um, I've been keeping water on the bedside table. And before my feet hit the ground, I always give thanks for another day, but I, then I reach for my glass of water because you can really knock one out before you even go downstairs. So that's one. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't love the idea of like knocking out 
multiple at one time only because I don't want to dilute the contents in your body necessarily. So I would love it to be throughout. It's not always practical. But what I do is um, I set up like water on my desk. So before my day starts, because I sit on average seven or eight hours a day. So I will make sure that I have all the water that I need sitting on my desk. So that way, as I'm going through my day, I'm getting it. You just I- held up like a glass jug with a straw. This is just a mason. Yeah. A mason jar, just a huge mason jar. Yeah. And how many glasses are in that? So you, so there's four, so you need to drink two of those a day. Yeah. And I love a straw. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy for me to drink out of a straw. Um, there are lots of apps that can help you. You can set timers as reminders. It's, it's also a non-negotiable, right? Like we need sleep, water, and food to be well. So the water, you have to find a way. And of course, if you have to strengthen, you know, your pelvic muscles or you're worried about, you know, having to go to the bathroom all the time, you need to go to the bathroom all the time. That is not something that we would want to prevent. Like you would probably go to the doctor if you stopped having to go to the bathroom, right? So now our goal to regulate blood pressure and all of this cleansing system, this detoxifying is through water. So you don't have to pee so much if you sweat, you know, if you are exercising and, and you just, you've got to find a way. So I'm urging everyone to get your eight cups. Yeah. And, yeah. and I've heard women say, you know, oh, I'm not going to drink all that water because I don't like to have to pee all the time, but I don't know. I've just gotten used to it. I've always, I've always been like a liquid person. Like I'd like, you know, to drink the water. Can we touch yeah. real quick? Um, <laughs> on uh wine because you mentioned that on instagram recently so tell me a little bit about that um yeah so well wine where do i start with wine so just so we know the relative risk of heart disease the recommendations are less than one serving a day for a woman less than two servings a day for men and one serving is three ounces of, of hard alcohol or one beer or one ounce, I'm sorry, excuse me, one ounce of hard alcohol or three ounces of wine. Okay. Now, if we are inconsistent, so we have three glasses on Monday and two glasses on Tuesday, this inconsistency actually increases your risk of cardiovascular disease. So one, I would really try to lower the amount of alcohol, which also is wreaking havoc on your glucose metabolism and liver. Um, and could, you know, be wreaking havoc on just the way you're metabolizing things in general. It also is linked to depression, but then there are the people who love wine, right? Like they love their ice cream after dinner, or, you know, they, they totally personalize it. I don't take away my wine. I, I wouldn't take away your wine, although I want to take away your wine. I would rather you be social and have an occasional glass than have the need to have anything. Right. And so if you're the kind of person who has to have it or plants the seed early in the day and looks forward to that 5 PM or 6 PM, you probably need to do some deep breathing and some relaxation, um, things in your day. So you can get through that time without needing a substance. That glass of wine is very much like me shopping. That's a perfect analogy. Um, I was at a cocktail party on 
over yeah. the holiday weekend. And one of the people that hosted it um, works at a, like a big wine distribution place in New York. And he was saying that sales during COVID on an average went up daily. Their Christmas and Thanksgiving New Year's sales were consistent like every day of the week, you know, all through COVID, which I thought was really telling. And that's why I brought that up because I know um, yeah. you know, that a lot of people do that every night and, and I wanted for you to address yeah. it for people to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. The average American gained 29 pounds during COVID. And so again, there's that relationship you have with yourself and what's important to you. And, um, I understand that people think the wine is important because they don't want to deal with the way that they feel. Yeah. Well, and back to those feels. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes. <laughs> Being vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the last rule, um, before we wrap up is rule number six, and that is to sleep uh, seven hours nightly. Well, I love to sleep. So this one for me is good. I go yes. to bed early, but, uh, but I know that's tough for a lot of people. A lot of people are on their devices up late at night and that stimulates all sorts of things. And yeah, I think, I think this is also a non-negotiable, which is why it's an important rule. So, um, sleep is where we heal where all, you know, where we get to heal our body throughout the day from anything that's happening. And, um, when we don't sleep well, we have these negative thoughts it's linked to depression. Our cortisol levels are high. That affects our adrenal glands that affects our liver that affects our brain that creates cytokine storms. That is just inflammation all over the place. So it becomes this terrible cycle and sleep is essential. And it is proven that we need at least seven hours of sleep every night to prevent this cytokine storm, right? The, these inflammation in our brain, inflammation in our gut, inflammation in any organ. So if you're having trouble sleeping, you really do need to talk to your doctor. And I would not always recommend going on a sleep aid. I would try practical things like getting your body into sunlight at least 10 minutes a day without sunglasses, just so that way your body can again, reset its circadian rhythms. We should be having cortisol levels peak in the morning, which wake us up and it starts its rise as soon as we go to sleep. So in order to go to sleep, we need melatonin and melatonin um, is influenced by light. And so as soon as the light kind of like the sun goes down, we start producing melatonin. When we use iPads or phones, we change the way melatonin is affecting our sleep patterns. If we take melatonin, then our body thinks we don't need to make it. So there's lots of things I would rather you do, but however you are getting sleep, get sleep. But if you need help getting sleep, you really should work on your sleep because it has to be seven hours. If you, you can't sleep, you also can't maintain your weight. You also cannot lose weight. Yeah. It's very um, disruptive. You know, I, thank you. I, what I'm hearing is that our bodies are this great machine <laughs> and that in, you know, I remember my grandfather when I was little used to say that if you oil a car, it'll last forever. If you change the oil constantly. And, and what I'm hearing is that it's, it's, we have this beautiful machine that we were born with and that we often live so much up in our heads that we forget to pay attention to it. And your simple tips, you know, eat only when you're hungry, eat when eat what you love, eat without distraction, get your 10,000 steps in a day, you know, moving your body, 
the eight glasses of water a day and sleep seven hours a night. To me, that sounds so doable. Yeah. I love the simplicity of it. And, um, you know, and then you will gain all the benefits of all of the positives that we talked about today. So, yeah, I think I would just finish by saying wherever you are with these six rules, just get on the journey and look for the small wins because that becomes addicting, right? Like once we start trusting the process, it's easier for us to just say yes and to keep moving forward. Yeah. I love that. To focus on the little wins. Yes. Focus on the little wins, please. And I always say that all those little wins end up in as a big pile, you know, all those little pebbles end up in a big pile. And so there can be big change by all these tiny little shifts and little tiny things that we do along the way. Um, So thank you. I mean, look at it. I just have to finish by saying like, look at a basketball, like look at a basketball game, right? It's not about like how you score. It's about how you got to the net. I love that. That's a great, lots of pivots. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. you. This was such a pleasure. I loved meeting you. You too. You too. Thank you for having me. I'm Pam Rotelli Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at talkingjoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.